Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris and I'm joined by my co-host Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, we've got a lot to get to in this episode. Uh, we, of course, will talk about the Premier League and I think we'll talk about some other leagues too because uh, it was a big weekend uh, for several specific players around Europe. Um, plus, we've got some news too about uh, Peacock. Uh, also, we'll be talking about uh, Welcome to Wrexham, our, at least our initial thoughts in terms of uh, the viewing numbers for that, for this new series on FX, as well as much, much more. So, Kartik, uh, this past weekend, probably this past weekend, I actually watched more from around uh, World Soccer than I have done in the first uh, three weeks of the Premier League season. And uh, sometimes it's just circ- circumstances where maybe I might be free in the afternoon or, or, or a late evening and switch on, you know, an MLS game watching uh, Austin FC against LAFC or uh, like today on Sunday recording this uh, PSG against Monaco. Uh, Barcelona against uh, Valladolid, etc., etc. But of course, I watched uh, uh, several Premier League matches too. Uh, my most enjoyable match I watched all weekend was Nottingham Forest against Tottenham Hotspur. And I'm still in love with just the way that Nottingham Forest plays. And it's not the finished article by any means, but in terms of their style, um, and there were quite a few opportunities in this game too. I think whether it was Brennan Johnson or Nico Williams or uh, Jesse Lingard or, or others on Nottingham Forest, um, balls coming across the box, but they just was missing that central striker to kind of get in there and uh, knock it towards goal. Um, and Spurs played very pragmatic i thought in terms of uh, breaking on the counter uh and harry kane of course looking as good as ever uh son still looks kind of uh like he's not fitting into the system quite well but 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 overall what about you what, what were your thoughts about uh, forest and spurs and, and what which match this past weekend was your most enjoyable to watch well i, I would agree on the on the uh Son comment. I mean, he he is definitely not fitting into the uh, the Conte system this season, but he thrived in it last season. So I think it'll take a couple of games. And obviously, the other thing we're seeing is that Kulusevski is undroppable, right? In he looks system. he looks so good. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think 
the the assumption was that either Lucas Mora w- w- would play there or one of their new signings would would play there uh, may, or or maybe you know you would even kind of flip Sun to the to to the right and play Perisic in that three man front line uh, there were all these kind of, or Richarlson right uh, there were all these potential uh, options that involved dropping Kulisevsky that was that were talked about during the summer, which was kind of odd considering how good he was last season. I think he's undroppable. So yeah, that was uh, that was an enjoyable match. I, I think uh, certainly if you look at, at Saturday in the Premier League, uh, well, I mean to me the, the the most enjoyable match in England this weekend was uh, was Watford and QPR, but that was outside the top flight. I guess I would say. The, the 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 best match was probably um well there's there's a lot to choose from actually yep. that that whole block of uh 3 p.m kickoffs with the exception of the liverpool um the liverpool bournemouth match were good i don't know which of those i would pick maybe chelsea lester because of the drama with fofana the red card to gallagher and chelsea's ability chelsea introducing a new system also in that match and their ability to to to, to, to grind out a win yeah, it was one of those weekends where in some windows of time, there were almost like too, match, too many matches to choose from, or where there was so many great ones happening at the same time, uh, where there was even Juventus against Roma was another one. I mean, Lazio against Inter on Friday at the same time as a, a championship match, uh, so on and so forth. But but overall, the Kartik, I would say um, in terms of the Premier League, uh, we're four games into the season, but who for you deserves to be uh, the most under under pressure right now as a manager among these British managers? And that's Brendan Rodgers at uh, uh, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester City, winless. Uh, Frank Lampard at Everton, winless. Scott Parker at Bournemouth, uh, they've got one win. Or Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa with one win. Who who for you stands out as the one that should be under the most pressure there? Oh, it's got to be Gerard. I mean, given the amount of money that has been spent by Aston Villa, and it's just it's just the the, um, the eye test, right? With Villa, they look completely disorganized. And I've said this all four matches they played, uh, they beat Everton two one, but they were only good for about thirty minutes in that match, and were very fortunate they got uh, three points in that match. And it came at a time when Everton could barely field a full eleven. Right? Um, that was they they were fortunate to play them when they played them. It's uh, it's really bad, I think, in terms of Villa. They uh, they they don't have good patterns of play. Out of possession, their shape looks ragged, and uh, going forward, there's no continuity. And this is a side with a lot. Not only have they spent a lot of money, but I think they've spent a lot of money in similar positions. So they have repetitive players on the bench, which means maybe Gerrard's making the wrong squad selection decisions on uh on, on uh, match day which puts you in a very um very very tough position because he certainly has solutions on his bench right Coutinho has been misfiring he's got Buendia he's got guys like Douglas Luiz on his bench uh uh, uh Ramsey has not had the the sort of impact he did last season because he's not playing uh, in the same sort of role as he was last season. Uh, he can't seem to decide what to do with Watkins uh, and Ings. Leon Bailey had a great preseason, didn't play well in the first match against Bournemouth, has been kind of um, on the fringes since. So they've got all sorts of problems. I think their center back situation isn't very good either. Uh, fullback uh, situation, 
Uh, obviously, Cash and, and Dina are two very, very good attacking fullbacks, but there seem to be some defensive weaknesses with both those guys this season. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not only worried for Jared, I'm worried for Villa. Uh, because there's there's no way they can continue to spend their way out of this. And maybe there's something wrong in that dressing room because you have guys who come in on high wages, big transfer fees that either aren't starting or were starting and have been bumped and, and aren't clear on their role. So I think he's first. Obviously, the focus has been on Brendan Rodgers because of the way Lester has started. But I think... I, I, I think we're getting to the point where, where, where we're going to stop making, or people like me who tend to make excuses for Rodgers. Um, I, I, I seem to have developed this reputation, Chris, on Twitter of being like this big Rodgers fan. I had, a, I had like <laughs> multiple people tweet at me this week, well, we know how you feel about him as a manager. We know you're really like a closeted Leicester fan. Um, yeah, I am more, I do rate Rodgers highly, but I think we're getting close to that point with him. But maybe once they get Fafana out the door, then the, the the problem is solved. I don't know what the dressing room is like right now because of that situation. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that at Leicester, you've got, uh, I mean, Schmeichel left, you got the Fafana uh, turmoil, I mean, basically in the squad where, you know, I mean, it's a lot of question marks, a lot of doubts, a lot about, you mean, in terms of transfers, if, if Fafana leaves, then, you mean, which is go, it's going to happen, uh, if not happening already. Then, then you can bring players in. So, so Bren, Brendan Rogers, I, I, I can give a little bit of um, kind of a, a longer leash for him because uh, he is in a difficult uh, situation right now. With I mean, Wesley Fofana was injured a lot last last season. He's had other injuries too, uh, and hopefully he'll bring some new players in. However, I, I do think that uh, he may have overstayed his welcome at Leicester City and. I mean, they have to start delivering results real, real soon. However, Steven Gerrard has got a wealth of riches in terms of players at, at his, uh, you mean, available to him. Yes, some injuries in there too, which which always hurts. But I think with Aston Villa, it really is trying to figure out which team, which 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 form, which style to play, which players to play in that system. And, and like you said too, with whether it's Leon Bailey or, or s- several of these other players, not getting the amount of playing time that they actually deserve. So I, I think with Steven Gerrard, he does have to actually start doing things differently. He has to kind of mix things up a little bit and not be so uh, rigid in terms of how he thinks uh, it's going to work because it's not working. Scott Parker, Kartik. I think, uh, honestly, I mean, I know Bournemouth are in a tough situation. Um, they look terrible. They look, I mean, absolutely awful. At, at this rate, I mean, they'll probably end up with the worst record in, in Premier League history. That's how bad they look. But they have played some really difficult matches against tough teams. And they did get that win in the opening uh, day of the season against, uh, or opening weekend of the season against uh, Aston Villa. And and from here on, it gets a little bit easier. I mean, the next three games are against Wolves, Nottingham Forest, and Brighton. So out of those three games, you would definitely hope to get at least maybe maybe two wins. And then all of, all of a sudden, they start to head in the right direction. However, I, I, the way this bo- this Bournemouth team is playing, I have zero confidence in Scott Parker in terms of defensively how, how poor this team is. Yeah, he he's. Um tried to impart a defensive philosophy into a team that he inherited that had all these kind of attacking instincts 
because they were managed pre- previously by Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall. And uh, it did. It, I would say it really didn't work at the end of the la- uh, last season in the championship. They got through. They got the second. Huddersfield did almost catch them. Uh, and uh, Forrest, uh, Sheffield United, they were they were they all had closed really strong, right, and started poorly. But t- toward the end of the season, they were not. I wouldn't even say they were one of the top. Uh, well, maybe they were one of the top six teams in the championship, but they certainly weren't in the top two. And that's just carried on into the Premier League this season. But when you look at the, the those three upcoming fixtures, you said Wolves. I think Wolves at some point are going to get it going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you said uh, Forest. We know how difficult that is. And then Brighton. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to play Brighton with if I have defensive liabilities because uh, they'll pass you to death. I mean, maybe they'll only score once or twice, but they'll they'll have ninety percent of the ball against a team like Bournemouth. So, um, yeah, it it doesn't look good for them. Uh, but again, they they uh, my expectations are much lower for them than they are for Aston Villa. But Chris, I mean, credit to you. You said this, and again, I don't want to make judgments after four match days. I want to caution the listeners and say I'm a guy who doesn't even look at the table until uh, after 10 match days. So I I can't tell you what order these teams are in in the table. But uh, Aston Villa, you said in our preseason pod uh, you're you're very concerned about them. And, um, yeah, I I, I think – and I thought, okay, well, they have two – I said I was concerned about them also, but they had too many good players, right? They they were too good to go down, that old adage. Well, I don't know. Based on what I see, they don't have any – you said something about Gerard's system. I don't know that there is a system. I, I think that it's just chaos out there, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, it seems that way. And and it's still early, like you said, to Kartik. And, and uh, even if, if Gerard gets sacked at Aston Villa over the next uh, – maybe during the international break, then a new manager comes in and um, – They've got a good squad. They've got a really good squad. So somebody could come in and, and turn that team around. Uh, Leicester, same thing with them. Um, Bournemouth, I think, is a, is a lost cause, which is which is so sad. You mean this early in the season? However, what about Everton, Kartik? There's of course uh, a lot of transfer activity. Um, uh, Neil Morpé coming in, possibly Anthony Gordon uh, going out, uh, and some, probably some other activity too. But where does Everton stand in all of this? Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I'm fairly um, confident that if you get a Mope in, you get maybe you can. There's still talk of Ghana get a guy coming back from PSG. Uh, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a hang up there, but that might still happen. Uh, maybe one other player uh, in that midfield. Uh, it, it could be. I think it'll be fine. Now that's contingent on not selling Anthony Gordon. So uh, if they sell him, well, um, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think they can stay up without him, honestly. All right, Kartik, we, we, we got into a, a disagreement about this one on, on Twitter, but if, if you were to sell Anthony Gordon, what, what do you think would be a fair uh, transfer fee for him based on his value that you see in, in Anthony Gordon? Well, his value is $100 million to Everton because they're going to get relegated without him. So it, we could start with that premise. Okay, that, that might not be fair uh, in terms of his market value. But let's look at since it's, since it's Chelsea, the team is the team that's chasing him. Chelsea has paid uh, – I don't, I don't have the, 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 uh, the amounts in front of me, but they paid an awful lot of uh, money for Kai Havertz. They paid an awful lot of money for, for Romelu Lukaku. They paid an awful lot of money for Timo Werner. They paid a, a lot of money for uh, Christian Pulisic, a little less money for, for Hakeem Ziyech. Uh, they've turned down 
uh, bids of uh, they turned down a 35 million uh, pound bid once uh, for for Callum Hudson Odoi. Uh, maybe maybe uh, uh, an even bigger bid that I'm I'm forgetting for him at one point. So uh, this is sort of the, the the field they're in, right? These these kind of big money. Uh, attacking signings uh, and attack attacking sales. Now, why do I think Gordon is worth more than most of the guys I just listed? Uh, okay, so Havertz is a very one-dimensional player. Werner is a player that doesn't track back. Pulisic is a great um, direct one-on-one player, right? Great dribbler, fantastic finisher, right? Top 25 in the world, that stuff. The rest of his game is not very good, and I've said that for several years. I think now people are beginning to see what I... What uh, agree with me on that? Gordon is more complete than those three guys I met, and Lukaku. I, okay, I guess Lukaku's been good in some places, right, including Everton. But I just think Gordon. I'll tell you why I I, I really rate Gordon. So he's a guy that can play all. Let's say you're playing a four three three. He can play each of those three positions across the front line. He can probably play as an attacking midfielder also. Although you know, obviously they have Mason Mount there. He is a guy in Tuchel's system. If Tuchel wants to go back to the wing backs, he abandoned it this this week for the first time in a while. But but that seems to be his preferred thing, right? The, the three at the back. I think you can teach Gordon at this age to play a wing back position because he's much better at tracking back than Havertz, Werner, Pulisic. I mean, maybe we shouldn't talk about Werner anymore because he's not there, but he, they spent a lot of money on him is my point. I mean, the uh, they spent, I, I don't know what the number is, but I'm guessing that the number they spent on him is similar to what they're talking about with Gordon. Um, he's better at tracking back. He's better at winning the ball back. He's a much more energetic counterpresser than Kai Havertz is, even though Havertz came from Germany, right? He came from a league where that's that that's the uh, the kind of the 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 mo. Uh, Pulisic's counterpressing has gotten better actually in his couple of years at Chelsea. That's something I would say he's improved at. But uh, I think Gordon. I mean, considering what they paid for those other guys, I, I put him at maybe the top of that list. Plus, he has had to take a team on his back along with Richarlison and save a team from relegation. He's had pressure in every single match. He isn't like some of these Chelsea guys that have, you know, they show up in a Champions League match, uh, Havertz scores a spectacular goal, everyone thinks he's great, and then he mails it in for five weeks in the Premier League after that. It, it, it's This guy has shown consistency, he's shown grit, he's shown versatility. I think he's worth a lot of money. And if I'm Everton, I don't sell him. We shall have to wait and see what happens to Anthony Gordon because, like, to me, like what I see when I see him play is a very energetic player, uh, very aggressive in, in a good way. Uh, goes down way too easy in the box, and um, just does. I, I I just don't see much from him in terms of an attacking presence, uh, scoring lots of goals. Or so. So maybe it's one of those things that I'm missing. You're seeing obviously different different things than I am, Kartik, in in your analysis. However, to me, it's almost, he reminds me a little bit of uh, Deli Ali, where younger, he showed a lot of promise and, and a lot of uh, kind of passion, creativity, um, and then eventually fizzled out even, and moves, moves to uh, Besiktas in Turkey. I could be completely wrong on this one, Kartik. You might be completely right. But I think this will be an interesting one to watch no matter where he goes. If he does stay at Everton or if he does go to Chelsea or if some club comes in at the, uh, the 11th hour and uh, signs him to, I don't know, Newcastle United or something like that. But out of uh, Brent, Brendan Rodgers, Frank Lampard and Scott Parker and Steven Gerrard, who do you think would be most likely to be uh, given the sack first on those four? 
I assume it's probably Parker uh, because uh, although there was a there there was an investment from Bournemouth to lure him away from Fulham, although I think Fulham pretty plainly wanted to go in a different direction. There was constant tension between Tony Khan and Scott Parker when Scott Parker was managing Fulham. Uh, not that there hasn't been tension between Marco Silva and Tony Khan. I just think that that's a byproduct of that ownership. Uh, but yeah, I think he'd probably be the easiest to sack. Uh, I have a feeling Lampard will be around for a while because Lampard seems to have even usurped Mashiri now in, in, in transfer in, in influence. It's just a dysfunctional situation at Everton. Uh, Lampard has assumed uh, more power than previous Everton managers uh, just by default. Or maybe maybe he's the one usurping the power. Maybe it's not that there's a void. He, he's actively trying to prevent. Because let's, let's, let's remember, when we talk about Lampard, Chris, real quickly, at Chelsea, he had Marina Grandeskaiva and Petr Cech calling the, calling the shots, not buying the players he wanted uh, specifically, and then buying him players he did not want. So I think at Everton, he's been very aggressive about preventing that from happening again to him at a second club. Um, and then Rodgers, you would think Rodgers has a lot of credit in the bank, right? I, I mean, based on the current circumstance, Rodgers would actually be the first to go, given where Leicester has been, given the fact that they look completely out of sorts, and, and uh, we know the kind of summer they had. But would you agree with me, Chris? He has too much credit in the bank. He's won an FA Cup. Mm-hmm. He, he's come really close to qualifying for the Champions League multiple times. So, so they've been in Europe several times uh, under him. I, I, just, I just don't think you can turn around and sack him that quickly. Yeah, I think for all, for all four clubs, it comes down to the ownership in terms of how plugged in the ownership is and how uh, willing they are to go ahead and uh, pull the plug. And, and and with Leicester, I don't get that. I, I don't have as much of an intimate knowledge in terms of the investment group there now. Um, I mean, if they are... You mean so laser focused in terms of aspirations? And I think, and I think that's a lot of it too. Is aspirations? You mean whether it was um, Watf- Watford in the past, uh, and uh, you mean the fa- the Italian family that was running the the, the club there? You mean in terms of you mean what their aspirations are? Where they think okay, the, the club should be in the top top six, top seven, whatever it may be. And if they're in twelfth, you mean that to them is a failure. Uh, in reality, you mean that that's a great position to be in. So Leicester, Everton, I, th- I think, yeah, I, I'm with you there in terms of Everton and Frank Lampard probably having a longer leash. Uh, the club's still in a lot of turmoil. There's still a lot of question marks about uh, maybe a uh, new investment coming in. So if there is a new owner, then then things may change. But Frank Lampard still has a good rapport with the Everton fan base. The Everton, Everton fan base has not turned yet. The results have been, to me, uh, underwhelming. But there hasn't been a lot of defeats. There's been, you I mean, some draws, but still winless. Uh, Bournemouth is a question mark, and, and, and you probably know more in terms of that, and, and you've already mentioned that. And Aston Villa, too. Aston Villa have highest aspirations. They've spent a lot of money. Uh, they should be in the top 10. They should be even you know, top six, top seven, maybe, perhaps, or, or on the fringes there. However, they're, you I mean, flip, flip that table upside down, and that's where they're at. So I think at the end of the day, I think it really comes down to ownership and how aggressive they are in terms of wanting success and, and, and the reality of where they are at right now with the, with the current managers. Yeah, and with Everton so close to opening their new stadium, I, I don't think they want to go through a season of, of, of 
increased turmoil. So uh, they, uh, they, they're they going to keep faith with Lampard, I think, longer. I think he's got the, he's probably in the best position of the four you mentioned, which isn't a great position. It's just relative to the other three. Uh, although, again, it, in my opinion, if they sell Gordon and they don't buy an adequate replacement, which I don't think they can buy an adequate replacement unless they spend, reinvest the 60 million or whatever they get for him um, immediately. Uh, I, I don't know. I think they'll go down then. Yeah, Everton's got a little bit more leash, uh, a longer leash than that too, because the the new stadium, Bramley Moor Dock, is going to be ready for the 2024-25 season. So Everton's got this season uh, to try to stay up, and then they've got next season to try to, I mean, stay up or wherever they are, but basically kind of get back into the Premier League or stay within the Premier League before the 2024 season kicks off, and and that's the key point. The last thing uh, they want to be is in the championship uh, in that in that season. So they've got a little bit of opportunity there. Um, this will be really interesting to watch in terms of the next few weeks if there are any any pressures. And again, too, we've got midweek matches coming up. We've got a lot of midweek matches uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's a full uh, week game week of, of uh, fixtures, and then before you know it, it's it's the weekend again next weekend. So th- these these games will come thick and fast. Kartik, what about, uh, we haven't mentioned uh, Liverpool, Manchester United, uh, Arsenal or Manchester City yet. Um, from those four uh, heavyweights, and anything in particular that you think that was uh, enlightening uh, this weekend? Yeah, Man United ability to grind out a win when they didn't play particularly well away from home is, has got to be encouraging. Obviously, Liverpool, big bounce back victory uh, and, and very, very... Uh, very, very effective in, in flipping the script on the narrative uh, with them. Uh, Manchester City, I think they have a real problem shipping goals early in matches now. And, and uh, this is an increasing problem where they're, they're, they're playing from behind a lot. I, I think that you're seeing uh, their lack of centre-back depth. Uh, they're down to two, two fit centre-backs uh, really impacting them. And we're seeing uh, some uncharacteristic errors also from uh, from players at Manchester City. So uh, some warning signs there. And then uh, Arsenal, uh, yeah, I guess they, they, they grind, grind, uh, grinded out that win against a, a good Fulham team, a Fulham team that's playing very well. I, I think uh, uh, for Arsenal, it's good they're not dropping points in these sorts of matches, but uh, there are bigger tests that await. But so far, so good. All right. What about uh, Brighton against Leeds United? Uh, definitely an interesting match for a lot of Americans tuning in to watch this one. Uh, not not the uh, the three points that a lot of Americans were hoping for for Leeds United against a Brighton side. You mean a few a couple of seasons ago, if you said that Brighton against Leeds would, would be one of the top matches on a Saturday, probably somebody would look at you with a strange look. But it, it, it is it. I mean, it, it, it was it. <laughs> but what for you could uh, you take away from this match? Yeah, I just think Brighton are really good. I mean, they're very, very good in controlling the tempo of matches. They're very good in um, forcing uh, other sides, particularly counter-pressing sides, uh, to, 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 to drop deeper and then to play around them, right? So I think uh, you, you saw a lot of leads trying to play around the uh, – the, the the Brighton midfield when they when they got possession, so uh, Brighton very very good. This Graham Potter side has been uh, a favorite of ours for for several seasons now. Um, maybe they haven't been getting the results that their play uh, justified uh, until 
the start of this season or there were points in last season that they were they were getting good results. There is still an issue with Brighton not scoring the number of goals they should. I, I'm not a, a huge fan of the XG uh, st- uh, statistic. I don't look at it very often, but I do notice that um, Brighton typically falls below their, their XG, right? Yep. Uh, match after match. So that's, uh, that's something that I would be uh, pretty concerned about. Uh, you know, on the Manchester City issue, I realize that this is the same way uh, Bayern Munich started last season. Uh, it eventually led to Bayern being bumped out of the Champions League earlier than we expected. So uh, Bayern were winning games in Germany. They won the league as usual, but they were winning a lot of 4-2 matches. They were they were typically giving up the first goal in the match uh, and chasing a game down. And uh, I think I see a lot of that in Manchester City. So I, I think uh, certainly for me, they're they're not title favorites based on what I've seen. Um, but yeah, you- so. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say about the, about the Brighton Leeds United match. Uh, to me, watching this game, it was yeah, you're right. They were missing kind of a really prolific number nine, and and, and the feeling I got from watching this match is that Brighton could have won this one three nil, four nil, something in in that regard. The amount of possession, the amount of chances they they had, and the amount of shots they were trying to take, and and fair play to Leeds. Um, in some way, because they definitely got a lot of uh, men behind the ball and were blocking a lot of shots. But uh, the domination by Brighton in this match was pretty excessive. And this Brighton, obviously, is a good team. Uh, We talked about four British managers at the bottom or near the bottom of the Premier League uh, under pressure right now. And then you look at Steve Cooper with Nottingham Forest, um, roughly mid-table or just below mid-table. And, of course, Graham Potter, with Brighton and, and British managers again, but however, having a much uh, greater success rate. But, but what about this Leeds team, Kartik? I mean, I've, I've raised the point in previous episodes that my concern about this team is defensively, is that um, but what, what did you see in this match uh, from Leeds specifically? Yeah, I think defensively they do have some weaknesses and, and maybe, again, credit that they only gave up a goal, but that seems to be the way it goes with, with Brighton. So um, I'm going to read the uh, a couple of re- recent, by recent I mean the last uh, 12 seasons, Premier League clubs that have started on seven points in their first three matches and have got, been relegated. So Blackpool under Ian Holloway, I, that was heartbreaking when they went down, right, because they played such good football. They had seven points through their first three matches in the 2010-2011 season they finished 19th uh the 2011-2012 season the uh, wolves under mick mccarthy uh started with seven points after three matches uh, and they were relegated on 25 points in 20th and mccarthy didn't make it through the season uh hull city 16-17 under mike phelan uh, seven points through nine matches, relegated on 34 points in 18th. That was after Marco Silva came in and uh, got them into a position where they, they were 18th, right? When when Phelan left, they were going to finish 20th, uh, I think, or 19th or 20th, right? They were in real bad shape. And then um, the West Brom team the next season under Alan Pardew uh, started with seven points. They were relegated in last in the table on 31 points. So, um I, I like what we've seen from Leeds thus far this season until this match, but the the folks who've said that you and I were absolutely wrong, we should put we should we made the wrong prediction, we need to back off of it. This is why you don't make 
judgments, particularly about teams near, uh, that are predicted to be near the bottom of the table after three matches. There is a history of the, of teams going down. In fact, at one point, I don't, I, I'm trying to remember when this was, uh, but there were a couple successive seasons where there were teams, Chris, that won on the opening day, match of the season 4-0 on mm-hmm. the opening day. And then went down. I think it was three successive years that happened. So the Premier League is is a grind. It's a really difficult competition, and you can't make snap judgments after after a couple of matches or based on one one or two matches or highlight clips or whatever. And this season, because of the World Cup, is going to be more of a grind. Uh, I'm not saying Leeds are going to go down. They certainly have been better than I thought they would be, but I do think. Uh, they're still very much in in a relegation dogfight, and until um, they they're able to get to forty points, or let's say thirty eight points, we we're we're, we're going to continue to think that they're in that that potential danger. Yeah, definitely. And looking at their fixtures coming up too, I mean that that's the key point, right? Is that uh, not getting our hopes up too too early, uh, being more realistic than than some some soccer fans are kind of just going thinking, okay, what they're calling. Um, uh, MLS, like uh, I don't know, major league leads lead soccer or something like that. They're just going way, way, getting excited about this. But some of the fixtures they have coming up, um, they play uh, Everton, uh, Brentford, Nottingham Forest, Manchester United, and then Aston Villa. So you know, in mid that midweek game against Everton, which is going to be in USA Network, uh, that'll be a good test to see where they're at. Uh, next weekend against Brentford. Very difficult uh, match. Nottingham Forest, a difficult match. And then you got the Manchester United and Aston Villa. So there's some winnable games in there. Um, a few weeks from now, I think we'll have a much better indication of uh, what this Leeds is made, this team is made of. Um, there's a long, long way to go, though. Kartik, anything else from the Premier League from this past weekend that um, we haven't covered that you want to mention? Yeah, on the flip side, uh, there's been a lot of uh, uh, hot takes about West Ham. Because they did start the season terribly, and they're in Europe, right? So part of it is that they've, they've, they've they're in the Europa League or Europa Conference League, so uh, they've had some midweek matches. But uh, David Moyes, and again, this is going further back, and maybe if there's one thing um, that people can can really criticize me for in a right in some cases, it's that I rely on history too much for some of my analysis. I, I just did it with Leeds, right? Uh, but David Moyes' teams at Everton, I haven't actually looked this up, the specifics, but I remember, and you probably remember this, Chris, too, many, many seasons they would start really slowly, and they'd be in the drop zone, and the transfer deadline would be coming, and we'd say, oh, Everton have to sign a bunch of players. You know, they've, run their, they're, they're, they've run their race with, with Arteta and Osman and, and, and Cahill and Fellaini. They need, they need new players. And then uh, you, you look at the table, and you look at the table in March and they're in sixth, right? <laughs> Even though they were in 20th in October. So I, Moise has a history of doing this. I think West Ham are going to be fine. Uh, they could be getting Paqueta. Yeah. Which is, I, I can't believe he's, he, he's not going to Bayern or to uh, uh, PSG or, or to Liverpool, right? Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know if there's something specifically, maybe that he was at Milan when he was really young. It didn't, it didn't go well for him. But if you've seen him for Brazil, saw him in the Copa America, saw him for, uh, uh, for Leon, I, I think that that's just, I, I don't know how long it'll take uh, Moise to, to, to bet him in. But boy, if that, if that, they get that deal over the line, um, I know they started poorly. I still think West Ham have a good chance to be in that top six at the end of the season if, if they get that guy. Uh, it, it's going to come together. 
Yeah, and I think part of it too is the attraction of uh, West Ham United being being in London. You mean yeah, for, yeah. for a Brazilian that's looking at you mean uh, you mean a handsome uh, personal uh, terms in terms of how much money he he'll be making, but then also living in London, being living in the cosmopolitan city, as opposed to go into say Newcastle or someplace look, else. Look, I I don't want to get too deep into it on today's pod. Maybe we'll do a whole specific pod on this at some point, Chris. But I think, uh, and this is also plays into Brighton success and getting in not just having Graham Potter but some really silky smooth footballers I think there is an attraction to London now that makes clubs like West Ham and Palace and Fulham and Brentford and potentially uh, Queen's Park Rangers if they can get back into this division uh, in QPR uh, more attractive than they were historically and then I would add Brighton to that just because of the sort of town brightness so as we're bringing more international players into this league, as it's becoming more and more cosmopolitan, there is a preference to live in certain places. And uh, this is making the London clubs look. I, I mean, I, there was a period of time, the first 10 years of Premier League history, where Spurs were fighting relegation more often than they were fighting to be in Europe, right? And then mm-hmm. now we just automatically think of them as a top six club. I think that has had a lot to do with geography. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of signing, being able to sign some of these top players and uh, convince them to play in London versus um, maybe Manchester or Liverpool. Um, of course, they get some big big players too, but uh, London d- does have an influence. Now, Kartik, before we move on to the next segment, um, I'm sure you caught uh, uh, Josh Sargent again scoring for Norwich. Uh, he's really on form right now, uh, scoring against uh, Sunderland, uh, beating uh, the Black Cats there. But any other Americans that stood out for you um, from Europe this past weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Tim Ream really stood out for me. He has been every week this season. Uh, if uh, I, I can't, I don't understand. I, I don't know what the case is not to take Tim Ream to the World Cup. Even if he doesn't play, you need a, a leader like that in the dressing room. Uh, but um, I'm sure a lot of people will push back on that. I, I don't know why. Uh, but so I think Timmy Ream was great. I think uh, P-Folk or Sibachu, where, whichever you prefer, uh, was, again, he didn't score this week for Union, by the way. He's been scoring. He's already scored three goals between league and cup competition this season uh, in the Bundesliga, or between the Bundesliga and the German Cup. Uh, he was in the middle of a lot of the attacking moves in their 6-1 win over Schalke. I watched that match in its entirety and uh, was really impressed by his movement, really impressed by um, his passing, and also how effective a counter-presser he is, which I I guess, look, I, I have to admit, there were blind spots in my uh, in my knowledge. I don't watch the Swiss League. I'll readily admit that. So he, he's been a passing curiosity to me because he plays for the U.S., but I... Um, I'm seeing a lot of, of this player the last couple of weeks since he moved to Union, and, and I'm loving him. I think he's he's phenomenal. Josh Sargent uh, is one of my favorites. It's I think most people know favorite U.S. players. So I, I, those are my two uh, two guys I'm taking to the World Cup as a, as a number nine. I know I hear a lot of people talking about Ferreira and Pepe, and uh, Pepe got to start for Augsburg by the way this week, uh, which is which is a good sign. They're talking about other guys. I mean, you could probably you probably. Uh, mm-hmm. Can rattle them off, Chris. I know I'm forgetting some guys, but uh, I, uh, oh, Haji Wright, uh, who I'm partial to because he played in the NASL. But I, I just Sergeant is always going is always on the plane for me. Uh, I don't care how how 
poorly people thought he played last season for Norwich because he didn't. And he can play across the front forward line all three positions. Some of the analysis I gave of Anthony Gordon, by the way, Chris, applies to Josh Sargent. Now, he's not as high level, but some of that uh, analysis does apply to Josh Sargent in terms of versatility, tracking back, counter-pressing. So to me, he has to be on uh, Burhalter's 26. And then now I'm I'm favoring P-Falk over over Wright and Ferreira and Pepe. I, I'm uh, again. It's been four game, four matches, four Bundesliga matches, and one cup match. So it's been five matches. Could fade, but I uh, and I have, admit I haven't seen very much of this player before. I, I'm really impressed with him. Yeah, for me, it's one of those things that uh, we're looking at. What September 23rd? I think there's a friendly against Japan. Um, and, and this is the opportunity to really give these players some chances to be in the squad, see what they're made of, and, and see how they compete against a, a high-level team. Because, I mean, the Bundesliga is great, the championship is great, but let's see how they uh, play uh, in terms of international football. And uh, can they continue that, that form? Because, I mean, that that's where it matters the most. Um, and also playing with you mean, different teammates that, that may not... Uh, you mean uh have that that knowledge in terms of the the types of balls you like to receive whether it's you mean so a lot of it's chemistry i think sometimes too so it it will take time but at least there's some optimism there too in terms of uh the striking front for the u.s men's national team before we head into the tv streaming news uh Kartik, what about uh, games to watch uh, this coming weekend? Mine would be uh, the Milan derby into Milan against AC Milan on Saturday, uh, noon Eastern time on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, what about you? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, because you chose that, that would have been my choice. Uh, By the way, loving Napoli so far in Serie A. A little shout out there. Uh, to Spalletti and the boys, I they, I think that they've had a good enough squad under previous managers to really compete. Uh, uh, 
well, obviously they competed under Sorry, but under Ancelotti and Gattuso, I think they, they underachieved. And uh, they kind of retooled the squad this year, right? A lot of transfer activity. Um, and uh, they look really good. So that's a good shout. Uh, because you would pick that, I'm going to go Leeds-Everton, 3 p.m. on Tuesday on USA Network, which I think is a critical game for Everton. As uh, And by that time, we might know if they are keeping Gordon or if he's gone. And uh, uh, for Leeds, an, an important bounce back match. So I think that's a, that's a key key game. And uh, I should point out, as much as we've talking about Everton struggling, they are uh, they the two matches they lost, they lost by one goal. So uh, they haven't been taunted yet. The way uh, uh, they haven't looked quite <laughs> like Aston Villa or, or, or Bournemouth, right? <laughs> I mean, they right. Did that. Or or Leicester. Leicester has looked. Uh, yeah, we didn't get into the Leicester-Chelsea match, but Leicester up a man for, what, 60 minutes or more? Um, they just performed so poorly. So, yeah, so that's my recommendation. Leeds-Everton's on USA. And Kartik, I think I think that's a British expression, taunt, which is uh, thrashed, right? There you, there you go, just, just for American uh, listeners who are wondering what, what Kartik is talking about there. <laughs> uh, in terms of TV streaming news, I, I, actually, let, let me lead off with that. You, you, you mentioned uh, transfer deadline day. And, you mean, some of these moves might, might be happening uh, during the matches, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the Premier League. But uh, Sky Sports transfer deadline day special is going to be on Thursday. And it's going to be live on Peacock. Uh, starting at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time and going all the way through. And also, I think uh, NBC Sports is planning on having Goal Zone uh, for a one-hour special, I think, from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. So, but the uh, if there is going to be a crazy day, which it, I think it, there might be some big moves made that day, uh, Peacock is the place to go. Speaking of Peacock, um, we interviewed a couple of the executives uh, from Peacock uh, last week. Uh, we have the articles on worldsoccertalk.com, which go into more detail. But they do have a new feature on Peacock, um, if you've seen it. It's called Key Plays. And uh, for me personally, I got to experience it uh, this weekend, watching on Sunday a change from the, the Aston Villa-West uh, Ham game. I thought, okay, let me go check out the Wolves game against uh, Newcastle. And uh, went to Peacock, went, went to it. It was probably about 10 minutes into the game or so. And it said, okay, before we go ahead and actually uh, show you the game live, if you want to watch it live, you can. Or if you want to, you can go ahead and see the key plays that you missed. And I went to the key plays, and it showed me all the activity uh, for the first 10 minutes of the match, whatever it was. And I could actually see what happened. And after watching that, then you can click on another button to go live um, to to the game itself. Or you can go ahead and actually, I think you can start start the game over from the beginning if you wanted to. Really cool feature, really well done, um, and that's on Peacock. One more thing about Peacock, too. The rumors are, uh, actually reports are, in variety, um, that Peacock is going to have a special price in September, one month only, and it's going to be, instead of the four ninety nine for uh, a month for Peacock Premium, it's going to be a dollar ninety nine for that month. Or if you want to go ahead and get the annual plan, we'll have more details at worldsoccertalk.com. But it sounds like there's going to be some major savings there if you want to go ahead and get Peacock for the entire uh, 12 months and save a huge amount of money. Kartik, what about you? So uh, I'll hand it over to you for some news. Yeah, welcome to Wrexham. Debuted this week uh, on uh, on uh, FX and on Hulu. Uh, 
Obviously, I think everybody knows the story, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney by Wrexham. And uh, the overnight ratings were not great uh, for episode one and episode two. They're not terrible, uh, but 319,000 for episode one, 225K for episode two on FX. We don't know how many people watched on uh, on Hulu, and uh, I can... Uh, people like me might be guilty of why this rating is very misleading. This number is very misleading. I did set my DVR to tape both episodes on FX. I also ended up going to Hulu before I went to my DVR the next day and watched both episodes on Hulu. and <laughs> did not yeah. watch it within the 24 hours. Uh, you would have to watch it on your DVR to count in that rating. So I, I think it's pretty misleading. Uh, and if you guys missed the first two episodes, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I think my critique, Chris, would be it's not yet uh, Sunderland until I die, but it certainly is better than the Juventus documentary and the Man City one and the Bayern or the Bayern one on Amazon, right? The, all these kind of high-end club documentaries. There did seem to be something very rehearsed about the way um, they bought the club, right, and the way that was filmed, Um but I think the final match of the 2020-2021 season... No spoilers. Which is no spoilers. Okay. I'll just <laughs> say this, that, that, which, was in the, which was in the second episode. It, they caught a raw, raw side of that that you don't see in propaganda-ish club films. So yeah. uh, that's more Sunderland till I die. So first episode I'm watching, uh, you know, it's 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 this this, this seems very much like uh, like uh, uh, all or nothing Arsenal. And then the second episode, I'm like, okay, this is good. This 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 is taking off. So um, I, yeah, no spoilers. I don't want to say what happened specifically, but um, that's my read. So stick with it after one episode if you're turned off. Is my point. Yeah, see, uh, for for me, and I'm biased on this one too, Kartik, and we may end up doing like a whole episode just on this one, uh, on on this this series, talking about it in more detail. But to me, this is so, so good. This is so, I mean, it's really enthralling. And and to me, it pulls me in, in terms of the story, um, getting to know the players and the families and and what it means to the community. Um, And that aspect I like like a lot. It's a lot about the people... Uh, in Wrexham, so whether it's the the pub owner, or if it's the you mean the supporters group, or or if it's the actual players and their family, to me that's the hook. That's that's the story there, um, and the rest of it's really good. It do, it does feel yeah very much um, in terms of the buyout. Maybe the buyout was that easy, <laughs> and, and and it happened so smoothly that it was okay. We do Maybe. this, yeah. But but for but, me, but. but. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I was going to say if you're if you're watching, don't please uh, listen to Chris and and don't turn it off after the first episode because maybe maybe the buyout was that simple. I thought it looked very rehearsed, and I was thinking, ah, this is the same same thing as we complain about. And then episode two, wow, yeah, I'm yeah. with you. That, I, that was amazing. Yeah, I think first first episode is th- I think it's great. Second episode's wonderful. I'm really looking forward to episode three. But I think in many ways though too with this one, just like you, Kartik, I didn't watch it live. I think I watched it uh, on Friday, um, and 
it took me about an hour to get through the first episode because I kept on pausing it and saying to my wife and, and daughter, I'm like, hey, that, that's that bridge. We've been on that bridge. We've crossed it with the, with the canal boats or pause it when they go into, into, the, into the city center and go, hey, that, 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 that pub or that church, we've been there. We've driven past that and those types of things. So actually, for me, it's, yes, I'm biased. Um, I have family that live in Wrexham and, and in, in the area and, and are supporters of Wrexham. Um, but so far it's really good. And I think it has definitely a, a human aspect to it in terms of just, uh, a really great story in terms of where it's heading. And, uh, yeah, so far I'm really excited, but yeah, we will get to welcome to Wrexham in more detail in future episodes, I'm sure. All right, let's move on to the listener mailbag. And, uh, first up is Zach, Zach with a really good, uh, observation here about the Premier League. He says, uh, during the Southampton against Manchester United match, the announcers mentioned how surprised they were that more substitutes had not been made to that point due to it being a warm day on the South coast. I know this summer has been a scorcher at times throughout Europe. So I asked Siri, what the temperature was to say I was surprised was an understatement when she told me 73 degrees Fahrenheit. Am I missing some something Are Premier League footballers just that fragile or do temperatures hit different when they're in centigrade? And Kantik, I think uh, what, what, to me, it's I mean, I mean, obviously, obviously it's a lot, uh, normally it's a lot colder in, in the UK. They're not used to uh, higher temperatures like we have in the United States. I mean, depending on where you live in the US, I mean, the temperatures differ widely. But uh, we're obviously in Florida where we're used to, uh, 73 for us is, I mean, some people would, be, would consider That's winter. <laughs> yeah, a cold day. Um, but what's your take on this? Were you surprised by this? Yeah, I, well, I think the first few match weeks we've had some temperatures uh, above 30 uh, Celsius and, and actually oh, that that's above 90 uh, Fahrenheit. And, and particularly uh, the, 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 the first weekend of the season, the matches in London were, were very warm and, and uh, affected, I think, the tempo of matches, etc. Yeah, I, I think maybe the sun was out because remember, that was a that was a 1230 uh, kickoff. British time. So maybe the sun being out and no obstruction on the sun like you normally have in Britain with clouds and, and, and potential rain made the 73 feel a lot warmer. That That's very possible because if you're directly in the sun, I can tell you this because I think a lot of you who follow me on Twitter know I go hiking and go to, go to state parks and national parks. To me, there isn't and maybe this is just me. There isn't a whole lot of difference than being out in the hot sun, in the direct sun at high noon in the mid seventies and um, a hot summer day that's in maybe the, the upper eighties. Now, if it gets above that, yeah, you can tell the difference. Uh, but I think it probably was a byproduct of the start time. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and we've seen also Chris, uh, it's another South coast club, Bournemouth, their matches that have started at that start time. You, you see the sun baking the pitch, right? I don't think St. Mary's is quite designed the same way as the vitality. Uh, but uh, we've seen that at Bournemouth for, for a number of years yeah yeah what watching Bournemouth matches at, at home oftentimes like the sun the glare from the from the sun makes it really difficult to watch those games where the camera positions are it's, it's not the, uh, the ideal stadium to watch a game from on on television now in person I'm sure it's different 
Uh, Major League Soccer, Chris has uh, some comments here. He says, a few days ago, I was talking with my friends about the playoff structure in MLS and how the season should end. And one of them mentioned that MLS should eliminate the, the playoffs entirely and do a table format, but keep the February through October calendar to, to avoid competing head-to-head with those other sports such as the NFL, by cutting the number of games per season so that clubs, regardless of conference, play each other only once. He also said that the U.S. Open Cup should only be for lower division soccer, USL and below, and amateur clubs only. My question uh, to either of you is, do you see such a format working out for Major League Soccer and the American soccer pyramid as a whole? Kartik, I, I can guess your answer before you give it, but feel free. Yeah, so I I think that it would be very very good to uh, to change the MLS schedule that uh, way, the calendar that way. But I would say that uh, they will never do it, and they're wed to the playoffs. They're wed to the to the uh, to this fall to uh, fall to uh, 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 spring calendar. And so even in your proposal, Chris, if you uh, Actually, not fall to spring, spring to fall. If you keep the the spring to fall, as you said, February to October, you still um, you still gain a benefit for relevancy for matches if you don't have playoffs during the regular season. So I'm I think uh, flipping the calendar is essential, but I still think that your proposal has merit in terms of the U.S. Open Cup. Um, that's been debated, right? I mean, I, I think. Uh, I, I liked it better when MLS teams, some MLS teams had to qualify to get in. They had their own qualifying rounds and not all the MLS teams were placed right into the U.S. Open Cup. I think maybe that's the solution. You have 16 spots for MLS clubs and um, maybe the top eight teams from the previous season, they go right in and then everybody else plays off for the final eight. That's the way I would solve that. Yeah, for me, I think it's uh, in terms of Major League Soccer, I don't see anything changing and and anything at all. uh, It's going to be status quo. And uh, unless FIFA stepped in or or U.S. soccer stepped in to say, okay, we're going to have to change things uh, here in terms of the way your league is structured or or the calendar or, uh, I mean, all these different things that that could change, um, they're not going to change. And and, and I think... This is a league that's very stubborn, that's very set in its ways, and and is is uh, doesn't like to change really. I mean, this this league hasn't changed much when you think about it. It's just expanded, and it's going to keep on expanding. Now, next up is uh, actually the, the, we'll skip this one for now. We'll come to, come to it in a little bit, but we do have a listener voicemail uh, who um, the listener has a great question. But let me, let me leave that for a little bit. Let me move on right now to the uh, European Super League. This is a topic that came up uh, a couple of times in the last uh, episodes, and this comes from Dave. The comments that the Premier League is becoming a de facto Super League is intriguing. My gut sense is that the Super League was driven by desperation. Some founders need to secure seats at the table before their cachet declines, while some laggards joined reluctantly out of the fear of missing out. As time goes on, founders may even get even more desperate. Barcelona, for for example, uh, seem to be eating their seed corn. But fear of missing out for laggards may fade. Five years from now, will Manchester City or Arsenal or Liverpool have any concerns if Real Madrid and Juventus have a party without them? I think it's 
it's a good point, a good question by Dave, and some very good points. I think it, it depends on the money. You mean, so yes, uh, clubs such as Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool, etc., are making so much money from TV revenue. But if Real Madrid and Juventus did have a European Super League, um, what's the opportunity? What's what's the actual uh, prize money? What's the, the amount of money that would be guaranteed from a TV revenue perspective? What does that offer? However, I could see conceivably that the Real Madrid's, Juventus's, Bayern Munich's, uh, not, not, not the Bayern Munich's, uh, Barcelona's, um, PSG, um, maybe some others could figure out a way to, to do some type of European Super League and, and, and not have the Premier League teams involved in that. Um, what do you think, Kartik? Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I don't think they'll be able to do it without English teams. I just don't think they'll have the global popularity to to do that. So I, I think the Premier League's in the catbird seat. I think they're effectively the de facto Super League. That's going to increase with the uh, the next uh, set of TV deals. And uh uh, that that built-in advantage. Uh, this stuff is very cyclical, right? Through the years, you know, you look at a situation where um, Serie A was the dominant league, I think, in the transfer market in terms of spending, maybe even visibility in the 90s, early 2000s also. La Liga had an ascendancy. We've seen periods where the Bundesliga has been near the top. Uh, but I, I think now the cycle is kind of broken, and England is going to race away. So uh, I, I don't know. I, don't, I think maybe... Florentino Perez, he it was it was so poorly botched and so poorly executed, so so badly botched and so poorly executed the Super League attempt that you think, yeah, he didn't put much time or thought into it. But maybe in reality the timing was 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 right because he knew that uh if it didn't happen then uh the the clubs on the continent were gonna be at an even bigger disadvantage and even less marketable the next time it was tried. That's actually good timing now for the uh, the listener mailbag, uh, for the uh, voicemail we've gotten from one of our listeners uh, in regards to what we just discussed. Unfortunately, he didn't leave a name, but I do recognize the voice from one of the callers into the uh, Football Miami TV uh, YouTube show. Uh, so, Kartik, let me go ahead and play that audio right now. Hey, guys. Um, I've been a, a long-time listener now, but... Uh... I haven't really reached out to, to the podcast in any way, shape, or form. So I thought um, I'd send a voice message uh, with, with a question. But I know that the MLS has recently um, done that, that Apple deal that you guys have spoken about in the podcast. And um, so I'm from Miami, Florida. And, uh, you know, it's a big city. Uh, there, there's this huge appetite for, for soccer. Um, and it definitely bleeds from this uh, cultural mix that we have here. Um, I myself, um, I'm Hispanic, and it, it's just so natural to, to really fall in love with the sport. Um, but my question is the following, though. Um, I know in, uh, in years past, uh, Miami FC, it's um, lower division team that we have here, uh, it, it kind of gained this cult following. Uh, and then, um, you know, there was rumblings of Inter-Miami being a thing. And, uh, and then it officially became an MLS team, and I feel like that's kind of swallowed up the, uh, the, 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 the popularity that Miami FC had here in the area. And I think that was, I think Miami FC had this popularity here because there wasn't really any soccer um, here in this area. But to get to my question, though, it just feels like Inter Miami has been kind of disappointing in the past few years, and 
whole MLS appetite has kind of been waning here. And uh, to the point where I just it's just normal for me to see much more ETL fans. Um, of course, there's a ton, there's tons of Madrid and Barcelona fans here. And it just feels like um, MLS was, uh, or Inter-Miami was, was uh, the flavor of the month, and it's just gone now. So I'm um, just curious to see if, if you guys think this uh, MLS Apple deal would kind of uh, generate uh, more enthusiasm in, in just culture uh, in America again for, for the local teams. Um, because uh, just at least uh, here in Miami, in Miami, I don't know. It just feels like um, it's not really um, effective uh, culturally here. Um, you know, we have, uh, I mean, I'm a huge EPO fan as well, and um, I guess it doesn't help that the season has been exciting so far, um, but it just feels like more teams are just more tuned uh, across the pond with all the other, uh, with all these other major leagues and uh mls is just like it, it has its moments where it's um it's there but but it just wanes and um and i'm just wondering if uh if if this gap is only going to get bigger and bigger um or if there's a possibility where it would shrink um, so Kartik, his question to us is, what about the, ML- the Apple MLS deal starting next year? Do you think the gap between Major League Soccer and the Premier League is going to get bigger and bigger, or could it shrink? I think it's going to get bigger and bigger, and that's not a reflection of MLS. That's a reflection of the Premier League racing away. I do think the gap between MLS and the other leagues on the continent could begin to shrink. So uh, what will the gap between MLS and Serie A in 2032, well, that deal will run through 2032, right? Uh, yeah. In 2032, look like uh, the like it does now. No, I think that gap will probably shrink in that period because of this Apple deal. Uh, now, will it shrink to where MLS is competitive with Serie A? Probably not, but the gap will close uh, slightly. Will the gap close with the Premier League? No, but no one is closing any gap with the Premier League is, is basically my my longer narrative about all of this. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting because it is one of those things that I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right with you on that one, Kartik, where um, I think the Apple MLS deal is a good deal. It's good for Major League Soccer. However, there is the risk of them being out of the equation where, I mean, soccer fans tune into, I mean, watching matches over a weekend and have ESPN plus or have Paramount plus or have Peacock. Uh, all three of those are available each for less than $10 a month. So you've got, you I mean, basically for 20 bucks a month, you've got access to over 5,000 games from around the world every, every season and with Apple and the MLS TV deal, we don't know what the price is going to be yet. It could be $100 a season. It could be you mean, $30 a month. It could be we, – we don't know that yet. So there is going to be something where you – know, and also for Android users, yes, there's a way for Android users to watch MLS on the Apple TV app uh, – the MLS TV app within Apple TV, it's confusing for a lot of people, right? Until we actually use it. And I'm sure the first year, the first season, there'll be a lot of uh, free games available to, to to remove those obstacles, to make it as easy as possible to get used to that ecosystem, where, where to find the games, how does it work, what does the coverage look like? 
However, even you mean once after that is done and everybody knows where to find the games, there's going to be a lot a lot of people that are not going to be subscribing to a service that only has one soccer league. Now, it'd be different if Apple had won the TV deal for the Champions League or had won the TV deal for La Liga or the Premier League. And you could actually watch other soccer leagues in addition to MLS. But the only way to go ahead and subscribe to the MLS TV deal, uh, the MLS TV app within Apple is specifically for those MLS games. It's not like you're getting a whole bunch of other soccer. So I I think in terms of the accessibility still of the Premier League and just the growth that it's undergoing, and like you said, too, in terms of being a de facto Super League, that will continue to grow. And I think uh, MLS, uh, for no fault of its own, it makes sense to move to the Apple ecosystem for a long-term deal, to go streaming. However, this is not the Premier League. This is not the Champions League. MLS has a lot of issues in terms of getting average soccer fans uh, interested in that league to watch it. And now having to pay who knows how much it'll be. We'll find out soon, uh, whatever that that price tag is, in addition to all the streaming services uh, that soccer fan already has. Let's move on to Christian Pulisic discussion. This is, comes from Mercator. He says, really good discussion on Pulisic, and I'm, re- and I'm glad I'm not insane thinking that Tuchel has nothing against him either. I think many fans don't want to admit it, but I'm just not sure he is of starting caliber at a regular top four club. It's nothing against him. The very best players in the world play for top clubs at his position, but I do think he would be uh, infinitely better off at a place such as Newcastle uh, or elsewhere. Kantik, uh I, I know in terms of Christian Pulisic, we haven't heard much this past week. Maybe we'll hear something this week now with the transfer window. Uh, but what's your sense? Is he going to stay uh, at Chelsea or be loaned out someplace? I don't know. I mean, Chelsea have too many players. So it, 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 the question is... Uh, if they get Gordon in, he's not going to play at all. If they don't get Gordon in, he might still make these cameos like he did at the end of the Leicester match. So uh, are those cameos worth it for him to stay there? That's, I think that's more of an open question than people might think. I mean, I, I think certainly if he's getting 10 minutes, 15 minutes a match at a high-level club who are fighting to win things, that might be better than him playing ninety at Everton. I I don't know. Uh, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to know, uh, and and how it affects his mentality and his psychology uh, in terms of his his growth. I, I think his growth has has, uh, has leveled off. Yeah, I think it's plateaued. I think it's now, plateaued. Question, yeah, it's and, plateaued. And, and, that, and that's the thing about Pulisic, though. I think that in terms of confidence, I mean, to me. That can't be a positive thing coming on as a sub, you know, usually with 10 minutes to go um, roughly in these games and getting 10 minutes to prove yourself. And it's so difficult in such a short amount of time. Um, and then you see, I mean, in that, in that match this past weekend, Raheem Sterling really occupying his position, scoring twice, winning the game for Chelsea. And, and then you know, Sterling comes off to a standing ovation. On comes Pulisic. Um, 
does okay, but nothing special, nothing out of, out of the ordinary. At the same time, you got a guy like Ross Barkley, who they spent a ton of money on. Uh, another guy Chelsea has overspent yeah. on, uh, who doesn't even have a squad number. So you know, Pulisic is not as is not in as bad shape uh, as some other guys. Uh, this is, a, I think, a piece of analysis missed by Americans who whine. There are some guys at Chelsea who seem to be in much more in the doghouse than Pulis- Pulisic yep. is. Yeah, and uh, Ross Barkley getting paid. $250,000 a week to not have a squad number and, and be sitting you mean, in the crowd watching these games, not really involved at all. Um, all right, let's move on. NBC Sports, uh, Greg has a comment for us. He says, you were indeed kinder to NBC in this last episode. And looks like a lot of us agree with your take on Peter Drury uh, versus Arlo White, with Drury uh, certainly being an upgrade. But if you miss the forest for, uh, through the trees... Uh, when you compare the halftime shows on Peacock, why was the Man United against Liverpool halftime show better than um, the previous weekend? Because they don't have as many commercial breaks um, to run relative to studio talk time. So they're not rushing their takes. If you're going to compare that context, if you're going to, if you're going to compare that, context is important. Halftime on the broadcast, NBC or USA and NBCSN before, is always rushed due to all the commercials they have to run. And, and that's a great point, uh, Greg. Definitely it's rushed. Uh, sometimes it's amazing, not in a good way, but how many commercials they do fit in. It's like uh, so Rebecca speaks for basically about maybe 30 seconds and off to a commercial, off we go. Um, however, they do have an opportunity, even on those USA halftime broadcasts, to give some critical analysis. And I think it was that Brentford Man United game uh, where the halftime analysis, I think in some ways, though, too, is also that Tim Howard, being a former former Manchester United goalkeeper, is kind of soft on his criticism of Man United specifically on players. Uh, it's more kind of um, in the clouds, a little bit more vague. It's a little bit, it's not pointed, it's not critical. And uh, I think it was Robbie Musto that day too, where it's still kind of just kind of um, talking about it being a circus uh, at Manchester United. It's kind of just your big criticisms, but nothing deep down analytical. And And even with the time limits that they have, they can still go there. They, they can still drill it down to something specific where you walk away and go, oh, my gosh, yes, definitely. That was one of the key issues in that first half with Brentford I mean, winning 5-0 five, five at halftime. That was an issue, and that needs to be corrected. And I, I didn't get that. I did get it, though, in the Man United-Liverpool match. I thought they were much better halftime, and, yes, they had more time. So I think, I think yeah, timing is everything, but sometimes – it's what you do with the time that you have available to you. Um, and I think they're getting better and it's maybe it's early season season still last but not least, uh, Kartik, this is a good one. And this is something we don't cover that much, but Jim says, keep up the great work. (laughs) He's starting off great here. All right, Jim, keep up the great work. I've been a loyal listener since the EPL talk days, since the pod and website focus on all soccer media. I wonder why you have had no commentary on Sirius XM's FC channel other than occasional live match commentary via um, talk sport when the gaffer is traveling. Kartik seems to drink up anything ESPN FC does as Bible. And I find the football show in, uh, in mornings on Sirius XM FC 
and the unique week in the tackle and Friday grumpy pundits with Tom Rennie and Brian Dunseth to be thrilling and insightful coverage. It can't be the paywall since it costs just a bit more than a TV streaming service, but the personalities are so colorful and exciting that I prefer them more than the tight corporate coverage of Steve Nichol on ESPN or the two Robbies on uh, uh, of NBC. Ray Hudson alone is worth the price of admission, but I feel like the the Rennie-Dunseth combo is a perfect combo, similar to the extremely popular and long-running Mike and Mike ESPN uh, general radio sports shows that pitted an average player but good broadcaster with the the witty uh, uh, career broadcaster. It's dynamite to hear them. I'd love some uh, love for their show, but specifically the channel and the on-demand app for shows, which post daily content that you can always have on your phone. Let's face it, nobody cares what the ESPN FC crew looks like, and having audio means you can listen without caring about a TV. ESPN's, uh, ESPN FC's analysis is a bit predictable, although they do spend time on each topic, probably why Kartik likes them so much. <laughs> oh, that's a great comment, Jim. Um, so for me personally, I don't uh, go in the car that much. I mean, I have a car, I, I drive around, but I, I have a home office. So uh, oftentimes I'm, I'm at home, I'm not on the road. Um, I'm watching matches throughout the day. I mean, sometimes it can start as early as, uh, I don't know, noon Eastern time. And I'm watching matches from noon Eastern all the way through till, uh, I don't know, six o'clock, seven o'clock, sometimes later Eastern time. And in the morning I'm working. So I'm working on the site. I'm, I'm writing articles. I'm making phone calls, doing interviews. So for me, me personally, Sirius XM FC, uh, yes, I've heard good things about it. But for me, there's nothing that's really that I must listen to that that's going to pull me in and say, hey, that's the show. Now, if I was traveling or if I was driving to work each day, uh, or on the road, road a lot, I'm sure I'd be listening to Sirius XMFC a lot more. Um, I know with Talk Sport, I have a love-hate relationship with Talk Sport. Uh, some of the content they do is great. Some of it's really awful. Some of the uh, the analysts that they have on weekends, especially, uh, Gabby Agbonloho is horrible. Jamie O'Hara is just awful. <laughs> I, mean, I can go down the list. There's some really, really bad uh, pundits that they have. Jason Cundy, I'm not a fan of. Sorry, Jason. But anyway, the, 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 there are some good ones. But for the most part, um, I, I prefer, if I am listening to something, I prefer to listen to talk sports. Um, and it's not because of the money, but it's just because of the ease of access. I can switch talk sport on in a minute. But Sirius XMFC, I mean, if I did listen to it, I don't think I'd listen to it that much, even if I had paid for it or had a free subscription. Um you mean so that, that that's for me again a lot of it is depending on how it fits into a person's lifestyle what about you Kartik? how come you don't listen to Sirius XM FC how come are you so obsessed with ESPN FC uh, I uh, I don't have Sirius I uh I do drive a fair amount but I uh listen to podcasts so uh, maybe that's why I like I'm I'm so used to Barry Glendening being in my ear for <laughs> jeez 
How long have I been listening to Football Weekly from The Guardian? Uh, what year? It's 2022. Yeah, so since uh, I've been listening to, to Glenn Denning and his snarky commentary for 16 years, and I'm hooked on it. Um, and, and Max Rushton is a better host than AC Jimbo for me. So, yeah, I think it's because I'm listening to podcasts. And now I listen to uh, the, the podcast that The Athletic uh, puts out, which uh, uh, which you don't, some of them you don't have to subscribe to The Athletic for. So I, I think that's the reason, actually. Um, the, 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 the Athletic uh, has, a, has a pretty informative um, podcast, which is about an hour long after every Premier League match day. And then... Uh, football weekly is now football like three times weekly so uh, that that takes up the time yeah and for me like brian dunseth i have a lot of time for i think he's uh when i when i have heard him in terms of his analysis on tv really i haven't heard him much on radio but on tv he's really good um i've been on the grumpy pundits a couple of times and i know kartik you've been on some of the the shows yeah, I, I know you've been on some of the shows before too. So uh, yeah, yeah, no, no hate for the SiriusXM FC guys or, or the channel, but it just uh, just doesn't fit into what we're listening to now. Now, Jim and others, it, it may, may be quite different. Yeah, and also I should mention when you mentioned TalkSport, TalkSport and BBC Five Live, they podcast everything. So that's uh, that's another. Uh, another layer, right? So you get you you can download those podcasts and whatever podcast uh, catcher you have, uh, which was uh, which I, is something I do. So between Football Weekly, between uh, Athletic, uh, Talk Sport, etc., I probably should listen to Sirius XM more, and it gives you maybe some more American perspectives, but. Um, but unfortunately, there's so much content. Yeah, that's that, yeah, that's the thing. At the end of the day, there's so much content to choose from. I mean, in terms of podcasts alone, but but beyond that, uh, television. I mean, on demand things, and and also radio, of course. All right, listeners, if you do have any questions for us or any feedback, uh, we'd also love to get uh, any of your uh, audio voicemails. The voicemails, you can call us at 561-247-4625. And uh, don't worry, none of us will pick up. You'll get a, uh, a voicemail uh, prompt, so just leave your message there. Uh, less than three minutes, otherwise it'll get cut off. Uh, you can also email us, and the email address is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Twitter is twitter.com uh, slash worldsoccertalk. And, of course, worldsoccertalk.com, the website. Uh, when you get there, just click on podcasts and then just leave your comments in the latest uh, episode. All right, Kartik, I think we're going to try to, this week, uh, we're trying to work out an interview. Uh, last week we had uh, Jordan Gardner, uh, the co-owner of Helsinger uh, Football Club from uh, Denmark, as well as a uh, minority investor uh, in a club called Swansea City. Um, you may know that team. <laughs> but uh, And this week, too, we're working on getting another interview. And uh, before we go, Kartik, where can people find you on Twitter? I, I know you've been busy politics i mean nature florida history soccer there's, there's a lot to take in but where can people find you yeah and hopefully i'll get back to actual soccer soon uh you mentioned soccer it's been mostly transfers <laughs> right you know and even the politics the nature the stuff i like to do is secondary to transfers so i, I just wish this window would shut uh yeah so you can find me at kkfla 737 uh, and i've uh, i've actually been breaking some transfer news which i typically don't do but um this is this is a strange window and there's a lot going on and what should the listeners do and what are you gonna do 
Enjoy your football. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.